I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Breaking and entering, drunk and disorderly, law and order. A former prosecutor and a defence lawyer, not your typical pairing. And the result? Conversations about crime and punishment that are guaranteed to get you thinking. Welcome to Justice Matters with Joe Crowley and Lizzie Green, a brand new weekly podcast. Our episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. Check out our Instagram for clips at Justice Matters Pod. Enjoy the episode. This episode contains descriptions of violence, including violence against women and children. It also contains discussions of suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Lizzie. How are you? Good, Joe. How are you? I am well. Welcome to this episode, which I think you're leading. I am. I am. This is a topic that I'm looking forward to discussing. Well, it's certainly a topic that's been a lot in the media and uh, in that sense, I think, uh, you know, a lot people are talking about it a lot. Yes, with good reason. I've called this one generally an episode about violence against women, but I could easily have called it male killers or killers of women and children because that's the focus of what we're going to talk about today. Mm Mm-hmm. And look, it was sparked, I guess, by the recent murder of Lily James. So not all of our listeners might be familiar with that case. So I'll give a little bit of background. On October 25 this year, Lily James, she was 21 at the time. She was the victim of a brutal murder. Mm. Um, She was found dead in the gym bathroom of the school that she was a water polo coach at St Andrews Cathedral School in Sydney Mm. Uh, and she was found shortly after midnight. Her killer had called the police to alert them to the murder Mm. um, and officers described the scene of that murder as confronting, to Mm. say the least. It's been described as horrific, horrendous, brutal, all of those things. Mm. And Lily's killer then committed suicide. So uh, he calls the police, reports the body in the toilets, 
and then is later found um, dead. Yes, he had jumped off the cliffs. The gap it was in in Sydney. Sydney. He'd also sent a text message to Lily's dad, I'm pretty sure, Mm. before he killed himself as well. So word got out quite quickly that Lily had been killed and she was found quite quickly. In fact, she was found and then there was a hunt for the killer and it was only a day or so later that his body was found. Mm. Do you know what the text message to, uh, to the father said? Something about going to the school or that she was at the school, Right. I think. Okay. Yeah, because Lily and her killer, and his name is Paul Fison. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but they had dated very briefly. He also worked at St Andrews for a matter of weeks. They dated and then they had, she had broken up with him or they had not continued to see each other. He had knowledge of her family to an extent and they mm. worked together so and how old was he he was that is a good question he was 25 mm-hmm. i think what do i want to say about this let me give you some more background so her murder which i would say was a completely senseless murder mm. sparked a massive reaction in the press mm. uh, and in the community so just for an example i did a google search of her name mm. and twenty-seven thousand results came up wow okay. yeah as a result of her murder domestic violence against women has again been the focus of the media although mm. i feel like it's raised every week because mm. there are women killed every week and so what i wanted to talk about is an aspect of what has unfolded because of lily james's murder mm. which is what's known colloquially as the good bloke narrative. Mm. There's this seeming persistence of the media and people generally to, on occasion, try and minimise the actions of murderers when they don't fit the, you know, perceived image or the preferred image of who is an abuser or who is a killer. All right. Well, I mean, I've got a pretty good idea of what the good bloke um, narrative is, but can you... Just um, step it out for me. Yes. So it's a societal perception and it, I think it can be very detrimental. Mm. Um, but when discussing violence against women, it refers to the idea that some men who might otherwise be considered decent, kind or good blokes mm. um, in many aspects of their lives can still perpetrate or ex- or exercise violence against women but it's an aberration for them that Mm. they were an otherwise good bloke, that in other respects they were a role model, they were, you know, so kind, they were charismatic, whatever it might be. Sure. And so it it has contributed, I think, to a really complex set of issues surrounding attitudes, behaviours and norms when it comes to discussions of killers like Paul Thyssen, like... Rowan Baxter, who I'll talk about soon, but killed Hannah Clark and his mm. three children. Mm. Well, sorry, can I just jump in? So you you said before the, this good bloke narrative doesn't, you know, is problematic because uh, you know it's used when people don't fit the usual what people usually think an abuser is like. What what do people usually think an abuser is like? Well, I mean, I don't know that anyone could necessarily describe an abuser, mm. but. I think what we see is this idea that it doesn't happen to me. So let me give you 
Uh, let me give you a statistic. Yeah, so you said before, uh, what, a woman die every, dying every week. And I was going to jump in and say, what, did you have some statistics? So you do. Yeah, I do. I do. So Lily was the 53rd woman to be killed via violence this year mm-hmm. in Australia. Mm-hmm. There is a, a group who are called Counting Dead Women Australia. They're yes. researchers. Yes. Sorry, I'm assuming that's 53rd woman intimate partner homicide, well, not died in car crashes or? Because of violence. Die, be- but presumably so it, it's in, in a, into a partner violence. I think the majority of them are, but this group, Destroy the Joint, are tracking all violent deaths against women. So, yes, the majority of them are intimate partner violence or right. domestic violence related. Yes. But I couldn't say with certainty that all 53 were. No. But the majority are. At least 3,600 women are admitted to hospital in a year mm-hmm. because of an assault. We had research that shows 5,000 calls related to domestic or family violence are made to the police each week. Mm-hmm. One in six women have experienced physical and or sexual violence perpetrated by a man since the age of 15, Mm -hmm. and one in four women have experienced emotional abuse by a current or previous partner since the age of 15. These are the facts. These are the statistics. And so I would say that all of us would be able to say at least one person they know of who has been subject to abuse by a partner. We know that. We know someone who's been sexually assaulted, physically assaulted, or the victim of domestic violence. But how many people admit to knowing the offenders? Because there are a lot of offenders out there if we look at these statistics, but no one's saying, oh, yeah, that was my brother or that was my partner or that's a friend I but, know. Okay, but where, so where does that take you? So Paul Fison's family stick up their hand and go, yeah, that was our son, brother. So, so where, how, how let does me that tell help? you. Let me tell you. Yeah. So... There was a survey done, the the latest National Community Attitude Survey on Violence Against Women, um, and it was conducted by Australia's National Research Organisation for Women's Safety, which is known colloquially as ANROS, and this was released in March of this year. Mm -hmm. So 91% of Australians believe that domestic and family violence is a major problem. Okay. Great, it is. But only 47%, so less than half of those surveyed, believe it to be a problem in their town or their community or their suburb. Mm -hmm. So people realise it's a problem, but they think it's a problem happening somewhere else to someone else. And this idea that we can't acknowledge or people don't want to acknowledge that your neighbour, your friend, the guy who's just been identified as a killer is a monster or is... Mm, I, I really take issue with that word, is a monster. No, but that's that's the problem. People don't want to acknowledge that. Like they try and, and it's – so this was triggered for me by the open letter or the letter that was released mm. by the ex-principal of St Andrews yep. who had known Paul Thyssen when yes. he was a student there. Yes. And in his letter he was expressing – condolences for Lily's family which was you know a lot of a lot of the appropriate content was in that letter but Mm. he also said in his letter he described Thyssen as a fine student a prefect and a role model and he specifically said he was not a monster rather he committed a monstrous act and that is a really damaging perspective to take because we're talking about Paul Thyssen 
because he made a calculated decision to murder Lily and then take his own life. So what does it matter if he was a role model in school? What does it matter if he was a prefect? None of that should be relevant to a to, discussion yeah, to what? To what? of him as a killer. Like it sets up this idea that, oh, it was a, a brain snap or he snapped or he or, would never normally have done this. Who cares what he would okay, normally have done? Well, he did it. Well, okay, let me just jump in. Yes. You, you, having been a prosecutor, you are aware that that's a common submission to make in a sentencing hearing. So, Not by prosecution. No, obviously not by prosecution, but you've heard it. I'm defence counsel, so I've made that submission a hundred times more. Um, you know, that, the, that whatever the behaviour that they're being punished for is out of character. And that is something that the court takes into account, that this person is not somebody who is, as a general rule, you know, doing this kind of stuff. And, you know, good, you know, previous good character is something the courts take into account. I presume you agree they should take it into account. Um, well, if you've got no criminal history and you commit an offence, obviously it should be taken into account. Well, what that if you're a sex offender and the reason you have no criminal history is because of the very secretive nature of your conduct and so being you know, a community leader or someone who's done good in other parts of your life, why should that count for anything if you've been abusing children in secret? Okay, well, well, the court, well, I mean, we're getting a bit off topic here. The court has to act on the information before it. If the if the prosecution want to put that information in that, you know, the person, although having ever been charged, isn't of good character, I'm sure they would. But you you accept it's a common oh, it is submission a common. Uh, and appropriate. It's in the legislation that the court should take into account that a person is of previous good character. Yes. Okay. So, but why? But, I mean, I think just as a matter of law, that's uh, that's appropriate. And, and and I think people in the community generally understand that. Now, this principle, I don't know anything about it, but I'm going to just take a couple of stabs in the dark about, you know, educated guesses, let's say. So he, he writes a condolence letter, open letter. Now, he has to say what his, well, he doesn't have to. He chooses to say something about Paul Thyssen. He can only honestly write about his own interactions with Paul Thyssen. Now, if he if he doesn't say anything about the guy who he was the principal of and presumably taught and interacted with when he was a prefect, I mean that's a bit odd in itself. Why? Why? Why should it matter? Like, honestly, if someone has chosen to kill in this horrific, brutal manner, has enough presence of mind to dispose of the weapon, to make texts and phone calls and then take his own life. Why does it matter if he did anything good before? Like, Well, well I mean, it, de- it depends what exactly. It, it, well, I think it is absolutely relevant, and I'll, and I'll explain why. Because as soon as you paint him like a monster, you say, oh, the statistics show nobody really or less than 50% of people believe it's happening in their community. Because my point is exactly this. The people who often commit these kind of offences, they're not monsters. These, these events are aberrations. And so the, to, to understand that really this is a problem that could happen in your neighbourhood, in your street, people you know who you wouldn't expect, that's, I think, the real issue. The idea that, you know, oh, well, you know, they're monsters and, you know, you'd pick them. That's why people go, oh, they're not in my community. No, I don't want them to be called monsters. I want an acknowledgement that killers and abusers are just ordinary men. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. But my point is I think the way that you're saying, well, why say anything good about him? You've got to paint him as an ordinary person. You've got to explain both the good and the bad of his life so that 
that society can understand that the, that these that people like that ordinary people can commit these kind but of offences. But you can achieve the same thing by saying Paul Thyssen had no criminal history, he had no previous offending, but he made this decision. He was an ordinary person. You don't have to go and give him any kind of adulation for being a school prefect or being a role model or turning up every day to his job and doing a good job. That isn't actually relevant. What's relevant is these are people who live and work next to you. They are ordinary people and they are killers. Well, look, I don't know what the, the, the headmaster's point was, but, I mean, in, in the sense that he was giving a description of the poor Thyssen he knew, I mean, I don't think that it's out of, you know, to say the guy was a prefect. But, I mean, I think in some senses that helped. They're ordinary people, but they might they may well be high-achieving people. He sounds like for a 25-year-old, you know, he was doing reasonably well on the scale of success. He had obviously was somebody who had the respect of his peers at school he, or the teachers, I don't know how they chose, prefects or whatever school he went to, but, you know, he was a prefect. But I mean, I think that's important to, to understand. Well, maybe if he was being sentenced, maybe if he was being sentenced in a court for the crime that he'd committed, a judge could have a look at that. But when we put it out there in the media, it's sort of like saying, oh, I know, I know he committed this horrendous murder, but he was actually a really good guy. He's not. Well, and that's the well, bottom when you line. say like, he's not a good guy, he he obviously committed just a, an absolutely horrendous murder, absolutely. And that's an aspect of his personality. But I think to say that's the totality of his personality is not, is, I don't think that helps the debate at all. I, I think that to, to understand, you know, as Hannah Arendt put it, the banality of evil I mean, look, I, want, I do want to unpack the, the whole banality of evil thing because I think it's important. And what, what I object to about, about the people saying, oh, the good bloke effect, it's terrible, I think they're falling into exactly the trap that Hannah Arendt identified when she published her book, The Banality of Evil, back in the 50s. You know, she goes, she watches the trial of Adolf Eichmann, the ultimate, you know, Nazi bureaucrat who was the bureaucrat who organised the final solution and the death camps and the killings of the Jews and the Polish and the Ronan. You know, but he he was just a bureaucrat. He was just a pencil pusher. He was a stamp licker. And, and she sits in the trial looking at him there and she is struck by the fact of how ordinary he is. And that realisation is what she then writes about. Evil is not something. people aren't. These people aren't monsters. They are ordinary people who commit terrible acts. And, and I absolutely agree with that. But let me just tell you where we go wrong. Yep. Okay. So these are some other headlines. Mm. And I should note at this point, that all of these killers then committed suicide. Mm. So none of these people have come to court or been charged because they're dead as well. Yes. But this is how things are reported. So in 2020, when Rowan Baxter set his three children and his ex-wife on fire in mm. their car and mm. they all died a horrific death mm. and he then stabbed himself. Yeah. There was a headline that said, ex-NRL star Rowan Baxter dies alongside three kids in Brisbane car fire tragedy. There was never a second's doubt as to whether he was the perpetrator. There were witnesses who saw the entire thing. It was undeniable that he had set them on fire and then killed himself. So what do you, what narrative do you think that is perpetrating? It is not putting the responsibility on this man. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they later, that was a maybe not the most highbrow piece of journal. Oh, no, sorry, take that back. 
but it was Fox Sports Australia. That was yeah. the headline. And they later changed the headline mm. to Wife Dies Hours After Her Children Were Killed in Car Inferno Lit by League Player Father. Um, at the same time, the Daily Mail ran this headline, ex-footy star who died in burning car, showered kids with love. Ah, uh, okay. So even a headline that is placing the blame there still has to put in their league player. Disgusting reporting. Disgusting. Then other examples. So in 2014, there was a headline that said, strains that grew inside Jeff Hunt ended in five deaths on a farm. All right, what did Jeff Hunt do? So he killed his wife mm-hmm. and their three children before he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. He shot his three children mm. in their beds. Mm. He shot his wife yeah. in the driveway of their house. He then drove himself to a dam, shot himself and died. He was described as a quiet grain farmer who had suffered considerable pressure and tension and police believe that he had snapped. Mm. Now, that may very well be the case, but again, that is somehow trying to provide some kind of excuse for his decision to take four lives before killing himself. I think it's trying to provide an explanation, not an excuse. I mean, if he, if they just write, shot his three kids uh, in their beds and his wife in the driveway, full, you know, and a grain farmer, full stop, the reader's just left with what is going on? You know, is there something in the water? You know, I think they had, you know, explained the, he's the under a lot of pressure. They say no. he snapped. Joe, being oh, under pressure. Oh, I, I didn't people... say it was a justification. I said it's an explanation. But the explanation is he, okay, so he couldn't cope himself and he chose to kill his entire family. Like it doesn't matter if he was an otherwise good guy because that decision, that choice, that conduct rules out what's come before. You cannot try Mm. and say, oh, but apart from killing his entire family, he was a good guy. Well, well, if he, well, apparently he was, you know, well, I don't know. You didn't give me any, you know, context on that one. But, you know, I, I think that is absolutely relevant to know, right. you know, what, what about it is about one? these people's lives that is, you know. What about this one? Peter Miles's heartache blamed for unspeakable violence. That was the ABC in 2018. Mm-hmm. Miles shot his wife, his adult daughter. And his four grandchildren, who were aged 13, 12, 10, and 8, and then he killed himself. Mm. He, they'd suffered the loss of a son, I'm pretty sure, and he had not recovered from that. Mm. And he decided he couldn't go on and took his entire extended family with him. There's the suggestion there that his heartache, oh, we can understand why he would do it. No. We've well, got to stop trying to find an explanation. So, no, wrong. I think we absolutely need to find an explanation. You're not going to be able to solve things unless you find some kind of level of explanation about it. But, but you know, how could we have solved that? If this guy just like what? I don't know because I don't know all the facts of the case. But the, I think the point is, isn't it, that these things are really hard to predict. They're hard to solve because these people do snap. They do do things that are otherwise abnormal and there is nothing in their previous life that would indicate that that's what's going to happen. It seems to me you're expecting everyone to be like Jeffrey Dahmer who, you know, grows up having this history of torturing, you know, animals and, you know, pulling the wings off flies or something. And so everyone goes, oh, yeah, no no surprises he end up killing people and being a cannibal. I mean... You, you know, it's easy. It well, it wasn't easy to see Jeffrey Dahmer as it turns out because he managed to kill, kill some multiple people. But, you know, I mean, 
if people are violent and committing a lot of offences, they get picked up in the system. I, I was, you know, when I'd seen your show notes for this, I was thinking about the kind of people I've represented for very violent crimes, including murderers. And, and I thought, you know, what kind of people are they? And as a general proposition, you know, they, they strike you as ordinary people. If you didn't know that they were had been convicted of murder, they strike you as utterly ordinary people. There's only, I reckon, two occasions in 20 years defending people where I have had violent people who've committed violent crimes who were, who were when you sit down and deal with them, you realise that they're not right in the head. But they had, uh, you know, a violent history as long as their arm dating back to when they were kids. You know, so they, those kind of people are easy to pick. But they are, in my experience, the, the rarity. Most people who commit violent crimes, you know, uh, it is what's called situational violence, particularly intimate partner violence, situational violence. So the violence occurs within a particular situation and outside of that situation, the people aren't violent. But my question is, what is it saying about the value of the victims to say, yeah, look, took their life, brutal murder, killed his grandchildren, but, you know, he was a good bloke. Like... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. It minimises the choices and the conduct of these people to say, oh, well, let, let's look at why he did it. And, you know, well, apart, well, from, well, apart from this, he oh, was a good bloke. Well, I don't think it does. I mean, if, you, if, you, if it was just like, oh, this guy's a total monster, wouldn't people be saying, well, why did Lily James date him in the first place? He was a complete monster. Why was she dating him? I mean, the fact that he was, you know, a solid guy. I don't guy, want them to be characterised as monsters. I want people to understand they're ordinary people, but ordinary is different to a good bloke. Ordinary means any person could commit these crimes and ordinary people do commit these crimes, but I can't understand the need to try and say, Oh, but apart from this, look at all of the good they did because every person does good in their life. There's always something you can point to that has been good, but that actually isn't relevant when discussing 
crimes like this because... So well, when you say it's not relevant, you I mean, these people are dead. They ne- are never put on trial. So there's never any sentencing hearing where, no. where the kinds of issues we're discussing would be judged in the legal sense. In some senses, they're being judged in the court of public opinion. And in, in that sense, I would say, well, having having some their side of the story put, if it's a you know, a sentence in the court of public opinion is very sensible. But but where else do we go with it? The only other place we could go is is working out how we can reduce this kind of violence against women occurring. And to do that, you need a proper understanding, which is an understanding, I think, of these people. And, you know, if they are people who are otherwise upstanding members of the community, that is a very, very relevant factor. You know, if we're just looking at Jeffrey Dahmer, who's, you know, torturing animals, they're easy to find. People who are upstanding members of the community, not so easy to find. I think for me, I see a link between this good bloke narrative that Mm. I refer to Mm. and the idea of, and I'm scared to say this to you. Go on, fire away. Toxic masculinity. Yeah, okay. Okay. I was wondering when that was going to come up. Yes, okay, fire away. So toxic masculinity, Mm -hmm. to be clear, Mm -hmm. refers to harmful expectations or behaviours that society attributes to men and includes beliefs that men should always appear strong, suppress emotions, dominate others and avoid anything considered feminine. This harmful notion, which is a, you know, researched idea, can lead to aggression, suppression of feelings and the reinforcement of negative stereotypes about masculinity. So in the aftermath of Lily's death, discussions about the impact specifically of private boys' schools on the and the culture of toxic masculinity was raised again mm. in the spotlight mm-hmm. to see if this idea of toxic masculinity is playing into the creation of good blokes who then go on to kill. You know, like... Well, sorry, when you say, I mean, nobody's creating good blokes who then go on to kill. They are good blokes who happen to, in a particular, under a particular set of circumstances... But this perception, that, that how they're raised, how they develop in terms of attitudes and beliefs and entitlement, I think, well, is it all connected? Does it all flow through? And is it why we now have killers who are described by people as role models or, you know, good good people who have snapped, you know. So uh, is that directed specifically at all boys' private schools? Well, not all boys' private schools, no. Sorry, I, I mean private school boys, not not every private school. Well, well I, 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 I wasn't exactly following where, where all that was going. So I'll announce my bias straight up. I went to an all boys private school mm-hmm. and I had a great time. Was there bullying at school? Absolutely. Was there, you know, some of those characteristics that you described uh, amounting to toxic masculinity at the school? Absolutely. I think if you get any group of blokes, boys, males together, that you are going to get some of that, but not you're not going to get it from all of them. And no. is it going to become a sort of the dominant sort of culture within the school? Well, I mean, statistically, I suppose it's possible. My experience is no. Okay. And I think that there is huge variations when it comes to all-boys schools. And I also went to a single-sex school. I was at an all-girls school and I loved it. And mm. I believed wholeheartedly in the value of single-sex education. Mm. I didn't really have that option for my kids, so I now also see the value in co-educational mm. education. If we come back to the types of schools where there is 
this culture of privilege and entitlement. And look, not related at all to killing, but it made me think of a couple of years ago, 2020, there was a lot of media attention on a leaked year 12 scavenger hunt list Mm -hmm. from another very elite school, the Shaw School in Mm -hmm. Sydney. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this was their muck-up week. So let me just put in context for my kids' muck-up week. In year 12, they had to wear a pink shirt one day. They had a water fight another So the day. students, because uh, oh, I didn't have a muck-up week. Um, I don't know no, so muck-up week. Yeah, but so let it? me tell you what types of challenges were on this private. So this is for the, the graduating students in the final weeks of school. They do things which are sort of against the rules and I presume borderline illegal or actually well, illegal. Well, against the rules for the normal course of things, you know, Mm. like wearing the wrong uniform. Uh, But this one was extreme. So there were a number of challenges that increased in difficulty, shock level, Mm. depravity. Mm. So it started with things like spitting on a homeless person, performing what they call a sack whack on a random person, which is just hitting someone in the testicles. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, Pretty common at all boys' schools in my my experience. I don't want to know about that. Deck a stranger, so punch a stranger. And then it progressed to things involving women. So kiss a girl under the age of 15. Mm -hmm. Kissing's fine, but let's just remember these are seniors. Kissing. Yeah, it's an indecent assault. Well, if it's without consent. Okay. No, it's you can consent between the age of 12. Four, and, okay. Yeah. All right. They're saying kiss someone under age, and these are 17, 18 year olds. Yep. Kiss an Asian chick okay. was one of the challenges. Mm-hmm. Have sex with a woman who weighs over 80 kilos mm-hmm. or is aged over 40 mm-hmm. or is deemed a three out of 10 or lower. Mm-hmm. Someone leaked that scavenger hunt mm. and there was a massive furor. I don't know if you remember it. Mm. Now, ironically, the principal of that school at that time was dismissed in the wake of this really? scavenger hunt wow. okay. scandal. And John Collier, who wrote the letter in mm-hmm. that referred to Paul Fison, mm. he was brought in to be principal mm-hmm. of the Shaw School because the governing council stated that new leadership was needed to change the culture of the school. Mm. I, I don't know, maybe a woman would have been a better choice. <laughs> Not one single year 12 boy at that time was expelled or well. Well, with- sorry. Well, sorry, let me say, firstly, obviously that list is appalling and uh, a lot of things on it are illegal. I mean, without more information, you can't say it's terrible that no year 12 boy was expelled or disciplined. I mean, you don't, for example, they mightn't have ever found who the author was. And uh, Okay, you know. well, so after the discovery of that scavenger hunt, there mm. were threats to expel any student who participated mm-hmm. that then headmaster said his school unequivocally condemns the activities detailed in the proposed scavenger hunt, mm-hmm. but a- actually no action at all was taken in relation to the creation of the list itself. And that principle. So, what do you mean? You mean well, they didn't investigate to try and find out who wrote it? No. Okay. It's a bit odd, I think, but. All and right. the principal went on to say the document appears to be the work of a small number of boys who are not representative of our wider year 12 group. Okay. Well, so. There you go deniability was just these rogue students. Well, sorry, what if that's the actual, what if that's the case? You know, that it's really just a bunch of, it's just a couple of bad apples. Well, it wasn't a... How do you know? I mean, the principal who presumably knows more than we do... Because it was 
It was shared on a, there was a private Instagram page. The participants were instructed to keep it a secret. They had to, they were meant to post evidence of their completed dares on that private Instagram page. Above all else on the scavenger list, it said, remember the boys code, we protect each other at all costs. And so this culture of a school where maybe a small group, but still a group, come up with a list that is so disgusting and nothing comes of it from the school. Like why there wasn't a proper investigation, why they weren't, it's not that hard to track down people like well I must say I think it probably is what do you do get all the year 12s together and say who wrote this and they all sit there and no one says anything but you know, so what do you why do why are they all sitting there why are they not oh, well, this could be a hundred reasons why but you know I because mean because they're protecting because they don't want to be a snitch they don't want to so be seen. it is a common saying in this country that snitches get stitches I don't even think that's an Australian saying I think that's just a general <laughs> saying you know so, so the idea that you wouldn't dob on somebody else, as we would say here in Australia, it, that that's a that's a common, you know, but commonly that held make belief. It right. No, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's commonly. So you, know, you can't just point. say this is this something is at Shaw point. College. I would like to think I have raised boys who would speak up, put their hand up, and say, "Oh, it was little Johnny over there. He did it." The list was disgusting. It, yes, I completely accept if that. These completely boys accept that. went and did these things. We are talking multitudes of people who would be impacted by their conduct, and they're happily treating it as some kind of big joke. So and who's they? You the mean boys. the boys? The small group of boys who came up with it. We, we don't know. The who principal was... said a small group of boys. We don't know how big the group is. No, Presumably but there was the principal. There was a lot do. of. Challenges on there. Yeah, so there's a there's a private institute. So you you know, let's say you're a student at Shaw College, you go onto this institute, you know, you oh join this this WhatsApp group, and you go yeah sure, and then somebody posts something on the group. I mean, that's got nothing necessarily to do with you. You're on the group, you see it. Your point seems to be well, you somebody reported it, somebody reported it, and then you say that that attitude is wrong. I can remember there was an incident at my school, my kids' school, Mm. and this was some years ago now, but there was an Instagram page that a whole lot of, they were only year sevens, a whole lot of year seven boys joined and they would post photos and make demeaning or belittling or bullying comments Mm. on there. And I can tell you that every boy, whether or not they had ever liked or commented on any of those were punished for being part of that page. Yeah, well, well, I mean, you know, as a lawyer, that you know, um, passive presence is not. But you just said you, you, you no, might but you be said, on the page, and there's yeah, but you, you said they liked it. No, as, as they did like not it, have not to like. They were just comment. on the page. They were just part of the page. Well, I think that sounds like collective punishment to me, which I'm absolutely against. But Anybody may... who's on the page gets punished because of something one person did. You know, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, if you like it, that's fine. That's different. You, you've actually no, actively I know one participated. Boy who did suffer a consequence, and he had not touched a button to interact with that page, sure. and someone else had added him. Well, okay. Well, I, I mean, but I think he that's... didn't remove himself. So, but Joe... well, sorry again. It, it's it, it, what you've got to. I suppose it's about what what what. If if someone says we're going to put together an Instagram page where we're you know racist and sexist and fat shame people you know and you know that and somebody adds you and you don't remove yourself okay sure but that if it's was just the a, point okay well 
you know. That it, was the point. I would expect all of my children yeah, to, to remove, remove themselves. themselves. Yep. No, I agree. If they know in advance what it's about. Or yeah. if they're part of it and they see it. It's like that. If you see something, say something. Like don't be a passive person like, well, I didn't do anything. No. I wasn't part of it. Okay. So coming back to toxic masculinity and violence against women, yes. experts have stated literally for years that there is a link between elite institutional cultures, male entitlement and violence against women that cannot be ignored. Power and privilege play a huge part in forming attitudes towards girls and women and framing men who mistreat and more relevantly kill women as good blokes who just snapped is actually dangerous. It implies that they aren't really bad men. They just acted out of character when they chose to end the life or lives of their loved ones. It suggests they're not like other murderers or other offenders. And I think that that is where we need to change. So... But sorry, who are these other murderers or other offenders? I mean, most of okay. the murders, uh, again, I haven't made a study, but I think most of the murders that occur in this country are intimate partner homicides. Well, that's because we are so, suffering an absolute crisis with domestic violence. But if you, okay, if you think of, you know, a murderer, right, you might think of I, I someone, know a few actually and I've represented you, them, yes. You know, or you, from reading books, from watching TV, whatever it might be, whatever mm. your perception is, mm. you might think of someone who's scary looking or aggressive or a loner or a drug addict. You know, these ideas are often associated with criminals, with offenders, mm -hmm with people who are violent mm -hmm. and there are definitely people who fall within those categories who do commit crimes who do kill you know or bikies or whatever it is you might think you know you hear about a shooting and it's gang related you've got a vision in your head of who that is when you think of a murderer being your brother son best friend husband it doesn't compute. You think, oh, that's... I mean, I think that to paint the popular culture view of murderers that they are sort of these people with scars on their faces who are always violent and, you know, murder strangers or something, I think that's dangerous because the, the yeah. statistics are you're most likely to be killed by somebody you know. So yeah. understanding that. And, I mean, I know lots of other murders where the, the, the murder, not intimate partner homicide, but the people are known to each other. They're at a party. There's a fight. Someone stabs someone in a fight. Yep. And they die. And these, I mean, not always, but sometimes they're people who are, you know, unblemished character. They don't have a, a history of violence. One of the problems that they used to have with uh, murderers is that so often they had no previous history of violence. And I'm talking about New South Wales in the, you know, 50s and 60s, is that they had a system where they would put you, classify you into jail depending on your criminal history. And because their criminal history, they had none. They ended up having these murderers in these, you know, you know low security, you know. So, so it didn't go on the offence. Yeah, well, that, it was this funny way of classifying, which yeah. we don't do anymore. But because because murderers do tend to be people who have haven't committed offences before or haven't committed that kind of offence before. I mean, if you're committing a murder, you are out of circulation for a long time. So it's unlikely you're going to be a multiple murderer, uh, and you know, because you are obviously think, in jail for such a long period of your life. I think we have common ground. Yeah. Like our common ground is we both agree that murderers should not be painted as monsters. That Mm. They're not inherently evil. Mm. But I think where we diverge is I can't see how it is useful or I, I can't see how it's relevant that someone like Rowan Baxter was a star rugby league player. Like Care Factor, 
zero, well, you know. So, but these are things that get reported in the media, that get talked about in the context of the murder. And I think it detracts from what has happened to these victims and what this person has actually done. Like, I, I don't think it matters and it shouldn't matter that they were good at other things or or good otherwise because now that they have murdered, that's they, they the They should forever be painted as evil. I think that's a very dangerous approach. I think you need to understand the these kind of perpetrators in a whole of personal understanding so that, so that you know. But who needs to? I think the courts need to. I think yes. that the prison system needs to. I think that corrective services and community supervision needs to because that is where we can focus on rehabilitation and the issues and all that sort of thing. But for the community, for the media to be saying, oh, but he was such a good bloke, the community don't need to know that. The, the departments, with the exception of the, the courts, um, you know, the, 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 the government departments you've talked about, they, they are influenced by public opinion because they're, they're ultimately answerable to politicians and politicians are influenced by public opinion. And, I mean, this is in the media, you know, which is where you started. This, you know, violence against women is very much in the media and, this, um, you know, these cases are very much in the media spotlight. I mean, as they should be and it's, a, it's a, an issue that society should deal with. But, uh, I mean, I think that there's no reason it shouldn't be dealt with as rationally and as openly and sensibly and intellectually in in the public sphere as it is in the courts why should we have a different standard for oh well that's just what lawyers do you know but, but I in, can in... tell you if someone killed my partner my husband or one of my children and I read an article that says oh yeah he he brutally murdered you know David whatever but oh, my gosh, he did great things in his life. I'd be like, get lost. Like, I don't want to read that. I don't no, want to hear. of course, but you're, you're not society. You're the, vic you're, you are the victim there or that? related to the victim. Well, because society aren't the victim but, and aren't related to the victim and they and they hopefully can have a more dispassionate, you know, understanding of the problem. why should the victim or the victim's families have to be exposed to that because somebody thinks it's relevant to know that at some point in their life they were good people? yes. All right, tell the courts, yes, we take into account circumstances of the offender when we sentence. Why are the politicians, why are government departments being influenced about whether or not they were a good bloke in their previous life because of what's reported in the media? Sorry, that should have I, no impact. I'm not I'm not sure that they are, but my point is, is you, you say, well, why, why should we report it in the media like this? Well, the media is the court of public opinion. Public opinion sways politicians. Politicians sway. And that's my the, problem. And sways, well, well, the reporting that you've obviously pointed out, I think is pretty low-brow reporting. I don't think it's particularly helpful. Okay, so let me see if you think this is any different. So I had a look at some coroner's reports yes. on these cases that I've flagged. Yes. So if we come back to the guy mm. who killed his three children mm. and his wife. So this is an official coroner's report into mm. the deaths of Kim, Fletcher, mm. Mia and Phoebe Hunt mm. in 2015, so not that long ago. The findings of the coroner. I conclude that Jeffrey Hunt shot his wife on a pathway leading from the main entrance of the farmhouse to the carport and that he then shot each of his children as they lay in bed when he shot them, he intended to end their lives. Okay, that okay. seems to be a straight recitation of facts up to that point. That's the finding. Yes. It then went on to say, 
Because it is seeking to explain such a shockingly horrible event, it is unavoidable the focus of the inquest is on indicators of dysfunction, disharmony and mental illness. But that should not obscure the fact that both Kim and Jeff had done much in their lives to be proud of and had many very admirable qualities. He was successful in his chosen career, perhaps more importantly, was engaged and care, was an engaged and caring parent who undoubtedly loved his children. He was the scion of a prominent local grazing family. He was well-liked in the area, charismatic, an excellent sportsman and a tertiary educated and skillful farmer. He was sociable and hardworking. Okay, how is that? What was the coroner thinking was helpful to list all of these things about the man who killed his three children and his wife. Okay, well, I don't know what the coroner's thinking, but I'll have a, a stab at it. You know, I mean, that contextualises. The, the, the passage started with this idea about, you know, mental illness. And if, we, if you rule out mental illness, then you've got to then provide some explanation. And if there is nothing in his previous life that would explain it, I think that's worth pointing out. I mean, uh, as opposed to just leaving it. can you not point it- that out by saying, He'd suffered because of X, Y, Z. Why? Why is there this list of things that are building him up to be this good person? I don't know that that's what they're doing. It seems to me they are they are describing his character prior to him committing this heinous offence as a you know as a way to. Put into context what's going on. And if that, that context may well be absolutely strange, confusing and hard to deal with because there is nothing in his previous behaviour that indicates that this is what he would do. But that, that's part of the story. That's what society now has to grapple with. So, so he also found, or she, the coroner, also found that the crime was the result of an egocentric delusion that his wife and children would be better off dying than living without him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so why did you make that face? I mean, that sounds that that provides an explanation okay. there. That, that and isn't... so, what what on earth does all of that descriptive praise have to do with that egocentric decision? Well, the answer is I don't know, but it, it you know, I mean, it wasn't a straight recitation of the facts of his life about what he'd done. There was a, a you know a level of descriptive stuff put in there about his life, but. I mean, putting those, juxtaposing those two things, his 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 otherwise good life, and then the, you know this narcissistic but sort it, of incident that it causes him to commit this terrible murder. I mean, that, juxtaposing those two things without any further explanation, I find difficult. It was like, well, how did that happen? If he doesn't have a mental illness, you know, w- what does that mean? You know, d- did he have a? You know, does that mean it was that- the ultimate control? He he didn't want to live anymore, mm, and so, so he. he- Thought he decided to make the decision for mm. his family that mm. they wouldn't want to live without him. Mm. This is the epitome of entitlement and masculinity gone wrong. And so the the more that we perpetrate this idea that yes, they're ordinary people, good. Are they good people? No. Well, up to that point they were. But what they were up to that point shouldn't be any kind of focus in the media or for a coroner, for that matter, maybe at sentence, maybe for rehabilitative purposes. But these people we're talking about today all killed themselves after they... Yeah, but and what is it? what do you take from that? I mean, I take from that 
you, one, one inference might be uh, like the farmer you were just talking about that this is this is you know colossal narcissism i'm going to kill myself and so i'm going to no one can live without me so i'm going to kill them as well there's colossal narcissism terribly toxic trait i would point out i don't think that males have a you know monopoly on narcissism so i'm not sure that's <laughs> i'm not sure that's part of toxic masculinity but anyway so well, it but, can be part of toxic masculinity but also be present Perhaps in some females. Yes. So so if we go to Paul um, Thyssen, he mm. commits suicide. So he alerts the police, he texts the father, he then commits suicide. Now, it, was there any information about why he did that? Because that might indicate an idea that I am so horrified of about what I have done, that, that I've committed this terrible act, that I, I can no longer live with myself, so I'm going to kill myself, which is... We, if that's what he was thinking, I suppose we don't know because he's dead. But if that's what he was thinking, well, that indicates some level of remorse. He he is so racked with guilt after after the, the, what he's done that he then kills himself. So well, too little, too late. Well, maybe, but it's I mean, like you and I don't. Case, you know, that that's up to you know God Almighty or Yahweh or Jehovah, whoever it is you like worship. It's like the case of the guy who had wanted to kill himself. Mm to teach his abusive father a lesson. So he'd been abused or mistreated by his dad. Mm. And so he asked his dad to go for a walk with him in the bush behind the house. And he took his gun with him because he was going to kill himself in front of his dad to teach his dad a lesson. Mm -hmm. But actually when he got out there, he shot his dad instead. (laughs) changed his mind. If you are truly in that position where you can't see any way out and suicide to me is one of the saddest things of all. And, mm. and of course, can I say, I of course I have empathy to a degree for people who cannot see any other way out. Like I agree with you, these are ordinary people who are making these horrendous, sad, tragic choices. And I do have empathy, empathy for that. And well, I don't think I do for Ryan Baxter. But anyway, but that doesn't mean that we can create a narrative where we say, well, they snapped. It was out of character. It was a one-off. Because that one-off, that decision just has ripple effects that spread out. And to try and – and I see it as trying to minimise. Yeah, but I, I agree we can't create that narrative. But if that is the story, then I think it should be told. I mean, and it seems to be, I don't think journalists are making this stuff up. I mean, I think they are reporting what they are being told by but the principal or by the, you know, the coroner's the reporting. That. They're not creating a narrative. It is the narrative. You could find positive things to say about any offender. Sure. Well, you go to actually, court. I've met some of you that you well, couldn't, not many, but yes. Not many. You go to court and mm. sit in court on mm. a sentencing day yes. and you will hear for every single offender before that court things that were positive in their life, Mm. things you can point to that were good. Mm. And so, okay, that is relevant when assessing the appropriate punishment. But when it's someone who's now dead, who has killed someone and taken their own life, you will always be able to find something good about them, Mm. but for what point? Like, what is it serving? Like this to, to, is, to gain an understanding of why the offender committed the offence. Knowing so he that was a prefect at school can, yes. does not give you any understanding as to why he chose to kill Hannah. No, but it does give you an understanding. I'm sorry, of, Lily. Of, yes, it does give you an understanding of, you know, what kind of a person he was and, and, you know. He was a killer. As it turns out, he was. Nobody knew that in advance. So, um, you know, and I think that's really the point. 
All right, Lizzie, uh, there's obviously a lot to talk about in this um, in this topic. You've obviously done an enormous amount of work on it. So I think probably what we'll need to do is stop here and continue in the next episode. Oh, yes, I could talk about this forever. But I'll tell you what, I will talk to you about next time. Yes. I did find a South Australian government funded initiative, yes. which is a list of seven questions that they suggest men ask themselves yep. to see if they are an indicator of domestic violence. So I want to look at that. With okay. You. Okay. Well, that sounds interesting. I'm not sure I'm going to say I'm looking forward to discussing with you, but certainly it will be an interesting discussion. I think so. Okay. All right. Thanks, Lizzie. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for tuning into this episode. You can find links to the cases that we discussed in the description. You can also find a link to Guardian Criminal Law, and a big shout-out to them for making this podcast possible. The majority of criminal cases involve people, normal people, people like you, people like me, who find themselves in an unusual set of circumstances that would not usually occur in their life. My name's Mark Savick, and I'm here to assist you with your criminal matter. I look forward to hearing from you and being of assistance to you. If you're interested in clips, you can look at them on Instagram and TikTok. Just search for Justice Matters Pod. See you next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.